Jesus said that the church is to be a house of prayer. One of the things that you have to do if you're going to be a house of prayer is pray. When you read the book of Acts, you see that the early church lived this out and they were indeed a house of prayer. They prayed together often. The church gathered to pray to find out who should replace Judas as a disciple. The church was praying when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. The church devoted themselves to praying together. The apostles were headed to the temple at the hour of prayer when Peter healed a lame man. And when the religious leaders threatened the apostles and told them to stop preaching in Jesus' name, they gathered to pray. And that's just in the first four chapters of the book of Acts. The church gathering together to pray together is a major theme in the book of Acts. And if our church is to be a house of prayer, as Jesus said, as the early church modeled, then we must have times where we gather together and pray. One of my plans for 2017 is to have a a prayer service on the first and the fifth Sunday nights so that we can gather together for the express purpose of praying together. Each prayer service will be a bit different in the format and in what we're focused on in our prayers, but it will always be a prayer service. January will be an exception to this as today in the morning service we are having our prayer service. Now, one of the best books I've ever read on prayer was written by a guy named Bill Hybels, and it was called Too Busy Not to Pray. And one of the the things that Hybels put in the book that I thought was so good was he gave a pattern for prayer that you're probably familiar with. He called it the Acts of Prayer, and the acronym ACTS. And it stood for uh, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Now, for our service today, we're going to go through the acts of prayer together. Uh, The way that we'll do this is we'll have a brief explanation on each part of the act of prayer. Then we'll stop and we'll have a time where we pray in that way. And then we'll go on from there and we'll have a, a moment and a time where we worship the Lord in song. And then we'll move on to the next one. So let's get started. The first act of prayer is adoration. Now, adoration, simply an attitude of worship characterized by love and reverence towards God. Adoration is seen in verses like this one in Psalm 106. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Let the psalmist is in awe of who God is and what God has done, because of who God is and what God has done before Him, He is going to praise and to worship and to do all that He can to bring glory and honor to God. And that's what adoration is. When we are worshiping God in prayer, we are acknowledging that God and God alone is worthy of our worship. Now, the Bible gives us several reasons about why we should worship God. We should have that sort of reverence and awe for the Lord. One is that God loves me. It is a shame in our day that that the phrase God loves you has almost become a cliche that has virtually no meaning. Because this is a a life changing truth that that should motivate us to worship the Lord. The psalmist said it this way. He said, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all you people of the earth, for he loves us with an unfailing love. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, I like the idea that it's an unfailing love. 
But in other places in Scripture, God's love is described as an everlasting love. The picture is that God has loved us from eternity past and He'll love us into eternity future. Unfailing means that it won't change. Tomorrow, God won't decide that He no longer loves us. God will love us the same yesterday, today, and forever because He Himself is unchanging. Sometimes we sing a song called The Wonder of It All that says, The wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. There is not much that will transform your life and move you to worship like thinking about and getting a hold of the fact that the great and the awesome God of the Bible, He loves you as an individual. He loves you. That is awesome. A second reason that we worship God and we adore God is that God forgives me. You know, Scripture teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Scripture also teaches that all of this sin is ultimately against God. And finally, Scripture teaches that there is a a wage, a consequence that sin earns, and that is death. We are all ultimately accountable to God, and we will stand before Him in judgment one day. I read through the Bible, try to read through the Bible every year, and so since we're just finished a year, I just finished in Revelation. And I'll tell you, to think about the idea of the wage of sin... And reading Revelation 21 is a terrifying thought. And it would be overwhelming to think about that we are accountable to that God and that that is the consequence for sin if it was not for the fact that God is willing to forgive us of our sins. David says it like this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, this passage doesn't specifically call on us to worship God because He has forgiven us. But it is a psalm of praise written by David after a time of sin and being restored by the Lord. If you're familiar with the story of David, you're aware that David at one point made a bad decision. And he sinned against God by committing adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, the wife of one of his mighty men. In that time, he did all that he could, earthly possible, to hide it. The people around him, I guess, didn't really know what David had done, but the Bible says that God saw and that God was not pleased with it. And God began to deal with David to bring him to a place of repentance. And once David repented of his sin and acknowledged it, he penned Psalm 32. And he talks about the blessedness of being forgiven, right? Whose sin is covered, whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Once David understood forgiveness and he is forgiven of that sin, David could not help but worship the Lord. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke that he who who is forgiven of much, he loves much. Those of us that understand the depth of our sin against an almighty and a holy God and are amazed that He would forgive us and keep forgiving us. Well, we can't help but worship and adore and praise our great and awesome God. Another reason is that God is with us. God is with me. One of the greatest promises given in Scripture is that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always with us. 
Again, David understood that and he said, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. The passages that speak about God being with us are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. Here, David tells us that God's presence in our lives, it strengthens us, it blesses us, it makes our heart glad and it causes our whole being to rejoice, to know that no matter what happens in life, no matter where we go or what we do, our God is there and our God chooses to be with us. It's an amazing thing and it should motivate us to worship him in prayer. And then finally, just the final one for tonight or for today, God is good to me. I am constantly amazed at how good God has been to me in my life. I've come to realize that God has blessed me far beyond my character. What I mean by that is God's goodness to me is far beyond anything I could merit. My personal goodness, my obedience to his commands, my good deeds in general, they don't even come close to meriting all the goodness that God has poured out upon me in my life. The psalmist understood this as well. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We could spend a great deal of time talking about the different ways that God has been good to us. There are things that God has been good to all of us in, but then there are specific ways that God has been good to us as individuals. And we could spend an amazing amount of time just recounting the goodness of God for us and being aware of all that God has given and all that God has done. It should motivate us to worship him as we pray. So we're going to have now is a time of prayer, of adoration. I'm going to ask Michael Babb if he would stand. And lead us in prayer right now. hymnals and turn to page 106. We'll sing all three verses. Page 106.
King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Holy, you are holy. King of kings, Lord of lords, you are holy. Holy, you are holy. King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Jesus, you are Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, you are Jesus. Jesus, you are Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. The next act of prayer is confession. Confessing is admitting our sin and our failures to God. The Greek word that's used for confession comes from a verb that means to say the same thing or to be of the same mind. And that means to confess that I must say the same thing about my sin that God says. And I think this is a huge thing to understand. Because God says some very specific things about all of our sin. But God says that, that our sin is our fault. Always. It is our fault. God says that we are fully responsible for the sin that we have committed. God also says that, that our sin is serious. It's every bit as serious as that person over there, the person we're thinking of that, that did something we consider to be worse. Our sin is serious. God says that our sin is committed against Him. Again, all of our sin is committed against God. So to confess my sin, I cannot say, well, He made me do it. And I cannot say, well, I know it was bad, God, but it wasn't as bad as what he does. And I can't say, well, you know, I mean, come on, God. I mean, things are a little bit different now. You shouldn't take it so personal. To genuinely confess my sin, I have to own all the responsibility of it. I can't try to deflect. I can't try to minimize. I have to acknowledge that all that happened, all that I did, that it was indeed all my fault. That it was serious, grievous, and it was against God. That's huge. We'll talk about the promise for confession in a minute. But keep this in your mind as we go through here. Now, there are two broad categories for sin. First is sins of commission. And we're familiar with this. This is simply doing what God has said not to do. Everyone who commits sin breaks the law and sin is breaking the law. So if God has said not to do it and we do it, that is a sin. But there are also sins of omission. Sins of omission are not doing what we know we're supposed to do. James says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him, it is sin. If we know that there is something we are supposed to do, 
that God has said to do, and we don't do it for whatever reason. That is a sin of omission. And it's something that must be confessed. Now, confession involves repentance. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin that results in a change of life. Now, the change of life is hugely important. But Scripture says it this way. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. It's not just not just saying I'm sorry. There must be a, a desire to change. There must be a willingness to change. There must be an attempt to change. Repentance, like so many things in Scripture, it's not something that we say as much as it is something that we do. No matter how much I tell someone I'm sorry for what I've done, if I don't change, they're not going to believe me. If I walked over to Nathan and just jack slapped him as hard as I could, and said, oh man, I'm sorry, and then did it again. And just said, I'm sorry, and did it over and over and over again. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, Nathan. What are the odds that he would actually believe me? Pretty slim, I would guess. In the same way, just to do something, and then say, oh, I'm so sorry, God, but then not change and just do it again and again and again. It shows a serious lack of repentance on our part. Repentance requires Change. Repentance produces change. Now, repentance is preceded by a sorrow for the sins committed. The Apostle Paul said godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, I like this verse because it compares two different kinds of sorrow that come through repentance. And I think the biggest way to understand it is to understand that a godly sorrow, it's usually motivated by something external like being caught. It's motivated by the fact that we're going to suffer for it. Now, when I was a kid, my parents bought me a Red Rider BB gun and I didn't poke shoot out my eye. And they told me there were certain kinds of birds I was not allowed to shoot. And I said, OK. And one of them was a mockingbird. Now, what are the odds I actually knew what a mockingbird looked like? No clue. I walked out the front door, saw a bird chirping on a high line wire right above the house, and I dropped down to one knee, took a shot, boom, dead bird. I picked it up, and I carried it in the house to show them my conquest. And I walk in the house, and my mom sees the bird, and she goes, You killed my mockingbird! And I'm like, no way this is a mockingbird, this is something else. And my mom had a book called Birds of Oklahoma. Who has a book called The Birds of Oklahoma? She opens up the book and she lays the dead bird next to the picture of the mockingbird. And I'm guessing they took a picture of this particular bird to put it in there. And oh man, I began to cry. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. But the reality was, I wasn't sorry I'd killed the bird. I was sorry I was about to have my BB gun taken away. I was sorry I was probably about to have my, my hide tanned. I was sorry for the consequences. That, I was sorry I took the stupid thing in to show them what I had done. But I wasn't sorry I killed the bird. And I proved that when I walked right outside and shot another bird that happened to be another bird that was on my do not kill list. And, but I hid that one. 
Godly sorrow is sorry that we've sinned, whether anyone finds out or not. Godly sorrow is sorry that we've sinned, whether there are consequences or not. And the, the difference is huge in the results. See, the godly sorrow, it leads us to the place where there is salvation and forgiveness. The worldly sorrow, it produces death. So the picture that Paul was painting is, if I'm sorry I got caught, but I don't plan to change, I just plan to hide it better, there's no forgiveness. There's no salvation. If I'm sorry that there's going to be consequences, and and I want people to lighten up on me, but I don't plan to change, there's no forgiveness, there's no salvation. But a godly sorrow, I've sinned against a holy God. I've sinned against my Savior. And I am going to do my dead level best to stop. That is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that produces forgiveness and salvation. Now, God has given a promise regarding those who confess their sins. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, a couple of things. Notice the if. This is a conditional statement. God doesn't just automatically forgive anyone's sins. There is a condition to this, and that condition is that we confess our sin. And what is confession? It is saying the same thing that God says. So if I want God to forgive me of my sins, then I have to confess and say the same thing about my sins that God says. And if I do, God is faithful and He is just and He will forgive me and He will cleanse me. But if I don't, there is no forgiveness For going through the motions. There is no forgiveness without honest confession. So we must confess our sin. So what we're going to do. Is we're going to have a private time of prayer. Where we confess sin that we know about in our lives. We repent of it. And we do. We Do our best to forsake it. And what I want you to do is, I want all that can or all that would to come to the altars to pray. If you can't come to the altar, you pray where you are. But those that can come to the altars, when you're through praying, go back to your seat. When everybody's through, we'll move forward with this. And as you're coming forward, let me read you this verse that should be a part of our prayers. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. As we pray this time of confession, let's ask God to search us and to show us anything that would hinder our relationship with him. Okay, turn to page 488. We'll sing all four verses. Page 488. Just as I am without.
plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am that wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, The next act of worship is thanksgiving. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of our giving thanks to God. Colossians, it says that our lives are to overflow with thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. Thessalonians were told that in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, we talk a lot about finding God's will, and that's an important thing for us to know God's will for our lives. But one thing that we can always know is that thanksgiving is always a part of God's will for our lives. God always intends for us to give thanks to his name. Now, this can seem like huge issues. Right? I mean, on the first hand, sometimes life is bad. I mean, sometimes bad things happen. And how can we be thankful when stuff like that is going on in our life? How can our lives overflow with thanksgiving when a loved one dies, when we suffer a, a massive financial setback, when sickness lingers, when our prayers aren't answered in the way that we think they ought to be answered? How can we give thanks in those situations? Well, first... It is important to understand that we're told to give thanks in everything, but not for everything. You know, the reality is some things in our life, they are bad. And there is no way to give thanks for everything that comes into our life. But it is possible for the child of God to give thanks in everything. That regardless of what's going on in our life, there are reasons for us 
to be thankful for God for all that he has done for us. And I think to do that, we have to look beyond anything that's earthly, anything that any, beyond anything that this world offers. We have to look to Jesus. And, and I've done this before, and sure, you may have heard this before. But if not, important to think about it in terms of past and present and future. See, there are things that Jesus has done for us in the past that, that our circumstances don't change. In the past, he has loved us with an everlasting love. And he has demonstrated this love by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. See, all that Jesus did for us on the cross was done as an act of love. It wasn't because he had to. It was because he wanted to. Now, that's huge, I think. I mean, just think about think about how many people you would give your life for. I mean, how many people are there that you personally would choose to die so that they may live? I mean, that's probably not a big list, is it? Now, beyond that, if you're a parent, how many of you parents would sacrifice your son or your daughter for someone else? I mean, that list is infinitely shorter now, isn't it? And typically, when we think about someone dying for another, we think about like a soldier dying for a buddy, a parent dying for a child. But script, biblically speaking, what the Bible talks about isn't God dying for us because we were good. And it isn't about God dying for us as his allies. It's about the fact that we were enemies of God with our attitudes and our heart and our actions. And yet God died for us. Anyway, in the person of Jesus Christ, it's about Jesus coming to die for a people who many times would not appreciate it, many times would not care. I think rather than seeing this as like a husband dying for a wife or a parent dying for a child. A better image is to see this as someone kills your child. And then you take their place at the electric chair. I mean, that's that's how great the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is. And it wasn't done because he had to. There was no outside power that could have forced him to do this. It's simply because he he loves us with a love that's made of deeds and not words. And the circumstances of life, they don't change that. Take time and say, read Romans 8, 31 through the end of the chapter. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? So no matter what's going on, we can always be thankful for what Jesus has done for us in the past. And then there's the present. You know, no matter how bad things are, if we can look, we can see things that Jesus is doing in our lives at the moment. And he does a lot of things. Sometimes he, he comforts us with his spirit. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Second you know, Corinthians 1 even talks about God comforting us in our tribulation so that we can comfort others. You know, there are times when things are hard and things are bad and other people come and, and help us. And that is God working through them to let us know that we matter, that he cares. Right, so if, and this is hard in the hard times, if we can look. We can always see that God is doing something. We can always see and, and trust in the promises that he is with us. That he hears our prayers. He cares about us. 
So we can give thanks for that no matter what else is going on in our lives. And there's the future. I mean, we have a, a great future promised to us. We have heaven. We have Jesus. We have the great reunion day with our loved ones. We, we have all of those things that are, that are yet to be. The best is yet to come. And again, the circumstances, they don't stop what God is going to do in us and what God is going to do through us and what God is going to do for us. So no matter how bad things are, we can we can even say, God, I thank you. The worst this can do is kill me. And then I'll go to be with you in heaven. There's always a reason for the child of God to be thankful. I think it's easy for us to take God's many blessings for granted. Because beyond the things that Jesus has done for us as believers, there are things that Jesus has done for us as individuals. Things that he has done in our lives and he has done for us in response to prayer, things like that. And it's easy to let things like that go and not to remember even things that we might think are small things. Several years ago, we went to, to SeaWorld. While we were at SeaWorld, we went to the, the Lost Lagoon, which is like their big swimming park. While I was swimming and playing with the big girls, well, it was just the girls then, we didn't have Lizzie. There was a, a guy in a wheelchair sitting on the side of the pool laughing and watching his kids swim and play. And, and up to that moment, it had never occurred to me to thank God that that I could get down in the pool with my kids and play with them. To be thankful for just things like that. And the reality is, everything we have, every good thing we have, it is a gift from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. So what this means is, If you and I, if we have any good things in our lives at all, and that's God. So anything positive, anything good, anything that's truly a blessing, that is a gift from God. And the idea that there is no variation or shadow of turning means that God is never going to change. That no matter how long we live, as long as we have, if we ever, ever, ever have good things in our life, those good things will always be gifts from God. Jesus talks about God making the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. See, God's blessings are really, he, he blesses all people all the time in any number of ways. So if you're here and you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, and yet there are good things in your life, you should thank God because He gave those to you. If you're a believer and you have good things in your life, no matter what else is going on, then you should be thankful because God has given those things to you. Every good gift that we ever have or ever will receive, they are gifts from our Father in heaven. We're going to have a prayer of thanksgiving. And I think Britch and Erica may have something special to be thankful for. So I'm going to ask Britch to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving.
Turn to page 170. We'll sing it through once. Page, page 170. Turn to page 513. We'll sing this through twice. Page 513. last act of prayer is supplication. Supplication is simply asking someone for something. In this case, we're asking God. It's important to understand that taking needs and concerns and even our wants to God 
and asking him to provide for us is very much something God wants us to do. And I want us to look at a passage quickly uh, that will help us with this. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 is where we'll start. And I don't have the page number if you have a pew Bible, but. Oh, and Bridge didn't mention it, so some may not know. But Bridge and Erica are now Granny and Grandpappy. So, what? Graham and Cracker. Cracker. All righty. Matthew seven and seven. Jesus says, "Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you." For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, this is a powerful passage of Scripture, and it gives us all, there's four principles about prayer that I want us to cover quickly. First is we need to pray actively. Right? When you look at verse 7, you see that these are all action words. Ask and seek. And knock. And and from what it looks like, it seems like it goes from the least active to the most active as it goes on in intensity. It creases in intensity. And what I think we should see in this is the idea that that prayer is meant to be active. It's not meant to be half-hearted. It's not meant to be something that we just kind of sort of do. But we are to, to really give ourselves to doing it. If we truly, we want to see God answer our prayers, then we need to do, we need to do more than half-heartedly pray every so often. We, we need more to, to only pray as we jump in the car and drive to work. We, we need to be active in our prayer lives. And there is a, a level of intensity. There is a level of, of work that goes into prayer. If you've ever prayed for something passionately, fervently, often, it's work praying. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. That there must be activity on our part in prayer. There, there is more than just saying God bless and do and God, amen and moving on. The more we want it, the more intense we are, the more actively we pursue it, the, the more that we pray. So we pray actively, but also pray persistently. Now, it's not readily noticeable if you have, say, a King James or a New King James translation. But the ask and the seek and the knock in the Greek are, are in a con, kind of a continuing tense. Right? So if you have a New Living Translation, it brings this out and it says, ask and keep on asking or keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Right? The, the picture in this is that we are to, to keep on. Right? We pray and we pray and we pray until God gives us an answer. Right? We don't just pray once and move on down the road. But the more that we want it, the more that we pray for it, and we pray persistently, we pray consistently, we don't give up and we don't stop until God gives us an answer one way or another. Thirdly, pray expectantly. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. God, God answers 
our prayers. And I'll talk more about this in just a second. But as you pray, pray expectantly that there is a God who answers. That there is a God who hears. That there is a God who acts. That God is not passive, but active. And He always answers our prayers. And then finally, pray confidently. God is our Heavenly Father. As such, we can trust that He will always do what is good and best for His children. Jesus compares God, the Heavenly Father, to us as earthly fathers. And He says that if if an earthly father, his son, asks for bread, he's not going to give him a rock. And if he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a poisonous serpent. And if we, being evil, we know how to do good for our children, how much more? Well, our perfect Heavenly Father do good for those who ask Him. As parents, as humans, we're flawed. And sometimes, and maybe not you, but me, sometimes the, the asking can get on my nerves. And sometimes, again, maybe not you, but me. Sometimes I can give an answer that's most convenient for me. I don't want to, so the answer is no. It's just something that's going to put me out, so the answer is no. But even though I'm like that at times, I'm not always like that. And if I, being sinful and selfish and limited... If I will do good for my kids, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is not sinful and is not selfish and is not limited, how much more will He do for His children? When you pray, pray confidently. You're not praying to a God who is far off and not near. You're not praying to a God who does not care. You are praying to a God who has loved you with an everlasting love. You are praying to a God who has chosen you before the foundations of the world. You are praying to a God who has called you to Jesus Christ for salvation. You are praying to a God who saved you when you called upon Jesus and asked forgiveness for your sins. You are calling out to a God who adopted you as his own. You are a child of the Most High God. Pray confidently and trust that He will do what is best. And there's one thing I want to point out here that I I don't, I hesitated to do it because I don't want this to come across as a, like a wet blanket. You, You know anybody that's a wet blanket? You have something good and they have a reason that it's not so good. You, you, you have good news and they're like, well, have you thought about this? And it just like deflates you. I don't want to be like that. And I don't want to be a faith killer, right? Because we've talked about pray expectantly and confidently. And now I don't want to kind of suck the wind out of that. But as great as these promises are, we always have to to understand that they mean what God intends for them to mean and not what we might want them to mean. The promises here and in other places, these are not blank check promises. God is not a genie. 
and, and we can't pray and God is just going to grant our every wish. In the end, God is he's God and we're not. These verses and all of the others that promise God hears and answers prayer are powerful and important. But understand that when it comes to God, He has three ways that He can answer. Yes, no, and not right now. And all of those are valid answers. And they are answers. Again, this comes to whether or not you can consider and accept that there is a God who is greater than you. I mean, just as parents, do you always give your kids everything they ask for? Probably not. Probably there are times where we say yes. And then there are times where we we know something they don't know, and so we say no. Or things are going on and it's just not time yet, and we say not right now. Now, we accept that. We accept that and we expect our kids to accept it. If that's the case, we have to expect that and understand that with God. If He's really God, and if He's the Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer who knows all things, then we have to understand that if He says no, that is a valid and an acceptable answer. We have to know that if He says not right now, that is a valid and an acceptable answer. I was thinking about this. And I can think of things I've prayed that I'm glad God said no to. I look back over my life and there were any number of things that I have prayed for that God said no to. When I was in the army, I prayed that I would get to go to ranger school because that's what I'd always wanted to do. But God said no and closed that door and I was not allowed to go. At the time, man, it crushed me. I was disillusioned. I was depressed. I hated it. But looking back now, man, that was one of the best things God ever did for me. Was keep me from going to that school. When when I felt like God was calling me to pastor, I prayed for God to send us to a church In our community, in our area. There are a lot of Free Will Baptist churches where we came from. We could have still hung out with our friends. We could have stayed with my parents. We could I mean, it wouldn't have changed our lives at all to go to Wagner instead of Muskogee. It wouldn't have been a huge deal at all. And God said, No. Looking back, that was a wonderful blessing from God. That He didn't grant that request. Over and over again in my life, I can look at things I prayed where God stamped. No. And at the time, many of them were just crushing to me, distressing. But over time, looking back, I'm thinking, man, God really does know better than I do. God really is smarter than I am. God is really good because my ultimate good was not a yes at that time. God doesn't always say yes, but he does always answer. Yes, no, not right now. Those are all legitimate answers from God. And so we pray 
We pray actively until God gives us yes, no, or not right now. We pray persistently until God answers yes, no, or not right now. We pray expectantly. God hears, God cares, God will answer in accordance with what is is best for us. Yes, no, or not right now. Then we pray confidently. He is my Father. And if God says no, it's not arbitrary. It's not to hinder me. It's not to hurt me. It is ultimately for my good and for His glory. So I pray confident. And then in the end, I have to submit to whatever His answer will be. So what I want you to do is you have a piece of paper, a handout that came with a bulletin. And I want you to write three categories on the back of it. Three categories and leave space underneath each one to write underneath it. First category is personal. The second category is church. The final category is lost, uncommitted. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, we're going to take some time right now. And I want you to think about three things that you want God to do in you and through you and for you this year. Three things you want God to do in our church, through our church, and for our church this year. And then three people that are either not living for Jesus or do not know Jesus that you want to see God bring to a place where they are committed to Jesus. On your personal and for the church, be specific as you can. If you want God to bless you, how do you want Him to bless you? If you want Him to bless our church, how do you want Him to bless our church? Right? Be specific. That way, when God answers, you will know this is God that answered. Now, you can do as many as you want, but I think three is a good number. Simply because if you make a list that's a hundred things long... You are not going to pray regularly for it, most likely. But we probably all have more than one thing we'd like God to do in us and through us and for us this year. So three is a, a good balance number in my mind. So you take time. You write down three specific things you want God to do in you, through you, and for you this year. Three specific things you want God to do in, through, and for our church. And then three specific people. Don't just write down, save the lost. Write down three specific people that you want to see God save or bring to a place of being recommitted to Him. So go ahead and do that right now. Now we're going to have a time where we pray for these needs. So again, all that can to come to the altars to pray. When you're through, go back and sit down. And we'll move on with the service from there. Okay, turn to page 636. 
Sing all three verses, page 636. tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask Him, He will deliver, make of my troubles quickly an end. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Oh, how the world to evil allures me. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, and he will help me. Over the world, the victory to win. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. list and pray over them regularly throughout the year. Um, at this time, let's have our ushers come forward. This is the part of the service where we give back to God some of what He's given to us. If you're a guest here this morning, we're not asking you to give us anything financially. Instead, if you could fill out a connection card located in the bulletin, let us have a record of your visit. Also, if you want to know how to be saved or join the church or anything like that, fill that out. We would love to be able to help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You for this day, Lord. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy, Lord. Lord, we just ask that You be with us in this new year, Lord. Let us focus on You. Let us focus You in our lives, Lord. Lord, we just ask that You bless this offering. Use it in Your best will, Lord. And these things we ask in Your name. Amen. Amen. 